Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, the Legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today we are talking about the Legend of Korra, book one, episodes seven and eight, the aftermath and when extremes meet. So, uh, yeah, when Noel said it's just going to keep getting darker, he wasn't kidding. How you doing no. over there, Allison? <laughs> Um, When when I said it kept getting darker, did you think I was like just topping off at Sato has mechs from Bioshock or? (laughs) You know, um, I, you know, I guess I thought I, when you said it keeps getting darker, that we were headed for a very specific, um, Appa's Lost Days sort of like No, nothing like that. Oh my soul. But it is but it is like that. It's just of a very different stripe. It's like um, we don't need to make this an allegory. It's pretty clear. Like we're not going to hint at it. Gee, these are I I wonder if you've ever seen this before. Um, And sadly, always going to be relevant. Seems like 2012, 2020, 2040, we're going to be just terrible. Humans are just terrible. So only fire ferrets are good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, what I want to know, and I'll, I'll defer to Noel in a moment because of this. What I want to know is, uh, which of these episodes is the one that was supposed to just rip my hair right off because honestly they both did um i was very impressed by them both they feel um uh, really well suited to each other as a pair um which is always i love when that happens in in this format um marcus says this is a very specific kind of distressing it is anti-escapism and that is true because it's like fire ferret here fire ferret here it's, I mean, Naga here. Um, I just am really responding to the marriage of the political, the really pointed political storytelling that's happening here, which is for all of the talking we did about how um, Avatar had a lot of subtlety and a lot of depth to it, and it does. Um, I feel like we're approaching ideas here in the first season that it that it took Avatar a lot longer to get to ideas of that complexity, right? Which is it just a thrilling, frankly. And then on top of that, we get like the what did I call it last night when I was texting y'all? The Bendmobile, yeah, the Bendmobile, because like Team yeah. Avatar Mobile doesn't have the same ring to it, but like it's a it's the Batmobile because Asahi's Batman, right? And then. She's she's Batman, and that's cool as hell. And then they get the, the, the magic car, and they have the fight in the car, and it was all very Batman, and I was so into it. Um, and then bloodbending, it's a lot. It, it, it's a lot. Both of these episodes, I thought, were really, really great, and I want to know which one Noel was playing favorites with, um, because yeah. I could not tell, which I think is to the credit of both episodes. Um, I'm playing favorites uh, with When Extremes Meet. I think it's just really just stellar um i think i i still think i like uh and the winner is a little bit more because of like it's split structure almost um but when extremes meet is just a series of horrific things that happen that just make me just go none of this is good like i remember like my jaw just dropping open when you see the metal benders use the barricades as restraints. 
And just like, this is 2012, so like plenty of stuff is like still really fresh in terms of police brutality, starting to get more traction in the news at that point. And it was just like, oh, that's not horrifying at all. Um, so that, and then it's just like, oh yeah, no, the police being awful and politicians being awful wasn't the only thing we have for you in this episode, <laughs> by the way, BT dubs. Um, we've got your, we've got your kind of manipulative politician that you think is just a smooth talker, turns out to be a bloodbender who can bloodbend not during the full moon. So let's just add on that layer of things. Um, and so it was, it's all of that stuff that just gets kind of mixed in together and you just go, everything is bad. <laughs> and so, yeah, when extremes meet is the episode I was like talking, was mentioning. Um, I kind I had completely forgotten about Sato and I had not forgotten about Sato, um, being like an equalist. I had forgotten about his Bioshock Max entirely. Um, in part because I just kind of like forgot about them because when the show was originally airing, the mechs were like for a lot of people, the last straw in terms of the show not being good. Um, because it was, it was too steampunk. A lot of people were rebelling really hard against the presence of like cars, um, in any way, shape or form. So mechs, diving suit mechs were just like, no, this, this is not a thing that belongs in this universe, um, which was like a large discussion that was happening over the course of season one. So I just kind of, for, for whatever reason, forgotten about them, even though Daniel Day Kim is amazing in that episode. Like, I had forgotten how really, really good he is. Like, putting so much good novel mustard on the Join Me speech, I've never heard a better Join Me speech in a few years, and it's still so well delivered. Um, Kate... What was it like for you revisiting these? Well, first I want to give a little credit, credit where it's due. Uh, Vince, uh-huh. back on Saturday, uh, uh, sent us a, you know, tweeted at us. I don't know what it was, but I did not trust Mr. Sato. Somehow I got major supervillain vibes off him. Probably because he's too nice and I am a cynic- I'm cynical. Um, yeah. So, congratulations, Vince. Called it. Um, called it. Uh, yeah, it's... You know, these episodes are both really, really strong. And, um, yeah, the, Marcus's comment about the anti-escapism, I think, is really an excellent one about these episodes. It's like, are you not watching the news right now because you're trying to measure your your intake of everything that's going on and, and keep everything at responsible and healthy levels? Maybe don't watch these. Yeah. <laughs> Because it'll feel like you're watching the news. Um, but the way, you know, and there are definite strengths to the the subtlety of Avatar The Last Airbender. And, and usually that's my preference in my storytelling and in, in, um, in the, the fiction that I take in. And also nonfiction. Uh, but there are also real strengths to just being blunt and yes. saying, yep, Lynn's going to go retire from the police force because they're going to be the bad guys for a while and we don't want her involved in that. And also so she can do cool stuff yet to be seen, I'm, I'm certain. Um, but also uh, because, you know, this things are about to get bad. Things are, you know, they seemed like they were bad. We're going to just, like, pull up the lid and look at all the maggots. And... Um, 
Yeah, it's really potent. It's really effective. Uh, starting with uh, going from first Sato and then and Tarlock to like the, the escalation of it, I think is really well paced. And you know, we end after the sense of like, well, everything's about to start, right? Like it, you know, we've touched on uh, Harry Potter as a reference point a few times over the course of Stringing Place. That um, does have this this energy of like, okay, well. In the end of book four, um, everything's, you know, I guess we're doing this now. We're, we're not pretending anymore. That was the energy at the end of the previous episode. Um, but, you know, Cora had her team and Lynn and Tenzin are like ready to get in the fight. And then by the end of the episode, she doesn't even have her body. She doesn't have anything. And she's off to who knows where. So it is a dramatic and very potent uh, way to ta- d- remove any illusions about the 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 power of one person against this level of organized um, brutality and criminality and uh, you know and from different sources you know from these different you know and and coming from very different motivations for Sato. It's, you know, radicalization after the death of his wife, after the murder of his wife. And for Tarlock, we don't know much about his, his motivations so far. They seem to be pretty much just, I want power. I'm going to use this, but how much did, how much practicing, how much blood bending practicing does it take to be that good at it? And how many years has he been doing that? We thought we were seeing one type, one trope, uh, you know, of the, the science politician, and actually it was something very different. Yeah, it was a very, like, for those of, for those people who weren't aware that Senator Palpatine becomes the emperor in Star Wars, it's a very, <laughs> oh, he was the bad guy, um, which my stepmother at the time was very annoyed when I spoiled that for her at the, at the end of Phantom Menace. Uh-huh. I was just like, He's the bad guy. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, they never name him in the original trilogy, so yeah. why would you know that unless you would read like the books and shit, which I had, or just you know osmosis, but on the internet talking yeah. with Star Wars people, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I mean, you know, things are serious when um, the aftermath starts with a press conference from Tarlock. Instead of the recap from the press announcer, because he's still in the hospital, presumably. Mm-hmm. Well, Marcus says uh, fantasy fiction ha- usually has a problem of never advancing over thousands of years. It's nice to see Avatar and Kara show that progression and the consequences of that. Compare nineteen, uh, sorry, compare eighteen sixty to nineteen thirty. There's similar, there's a similar technological progression from Avatar to Korra. But I, the thing that is the most potent for me is yes, that and the the. If they just kept the same aesthetic as they did for Avatar, it would have felt very phony. Um, so, you know, that should serves the show better. But also, the most potent part of that has been the progression in the bending and it, look no further than blood bending. And, like, it's, it's, it's like, how do you not see it coming beforehand, right? They've shown the progression in the chi blocking. They've shown yeah. the progression in all these other things. And in, like, you know, just random dudes at the factory doing the lightning bending, right? Instead of it being a very rare um, thing. So, of course, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, and then we get a day walker, basically. Um, it's interesting because the way that you're framing it, Kate, I we certainly have been seeing that evolution, but I just sort of assumed that maybe Tarlock was... A, 
unicorn, right? Mm-hmm. That it was some sort of uh, extraordinary ability. It's well, very maybe, chilling. And maybe it is, it is right? But yeah. it's very chilling to think of it as a skill that can be developed, which of course it is. But there's something much more unsettling about the idea of this person working towards this level of ability as opposed to having it, um, you know, from birth or whatever. It's just really creepy. What, where should we start? Um, let's start with, uh, let's start with the, you know, I, I try, I, I'm on board with our, t- you know, Team Fire Ferret. Um, Bolin was testing me a bit with his unfortunate treatment of the, the butler, is it, at the Sato mansion? Like, the fact that that guy didn't just, like, punch him speaks well to his training and professionalism. I mean, it reflects badly on all of them. The fact yes. that no, none of no. them says anything about it, like... Like you couldn't get alone, get a, you couldn't get away with that if you were Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, right? It's bad manners when Macaulay Culkin, and I think it's technically Home Alone Two based in New York, but it's yeah. when he, it's bad manners when Macaulay Culkin does it. Kevin Macaulay Culkin does it in Home Alone Two, Lost in New York. If you are a teenager slash twenty something, I can't really tell where they're at. Uh, then you should definitely know better. especially Especially if you also grew up super duper poor. As a person who grew up super duper poor, I would never, never in a million years. That is somebody's parent or child or just a human being with dignity. It, ugh, it drove me nuts. Um, yep. I mean, Pabu inflating was cute as hell, but still not a fair. Not job. worth it. Yeah. No, yeah. No. You can get Pabu wet and dry him off some other way. <laughs> Marcus says, maybe it's because I'm rewatching Buffy, but Boleyn reminds me of Xander. I'm a little <laughs> afraid of that. I'm hoping that that, like, I can I can see that, Marcus, but I'm hoping that that parallel will not hold through as I continue to watch it, because it might wreck Boleyn for me. <laughs> do, what, do you, what do you think, Noel? Yeah, I can kind of see that. Um, I don't think it, like, hold. I really don't think it holds out for, like, the rest of the series, but... Also, I don't remember well enough. Um, yeah, it's so. definitely the kind of energy they're going for right now. Though. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, um, the 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 mansion, the invitation to Air Temple Island, uh, you know, the reveal of all that. Uh, you know, it, again, finding points of can, like reasonable negative reactions from Korra to Asami and then points of connection and be like oh that was actually that would be really really cool and they're tight like I think they're handling all of those interpersonal handling all of those interpersonal dynamics really well uh Korra is not the most subtle <laughs> but uh you know I think I would have been on on Mako and Asami's side of what she overheard, because she didn't overhear anything. That could have meant anything. Um, but she just happened to be right, you know? That's how, sort of how I felt about the Sato phone call. It wasn't nearly threatening enough. Um, but uh, but I did, did think the reveal is worth that, you know? Uh, and I'm looking forward to what's going to come next. I, Asami playing up what she's going, like her decision and how she responds to everything. I think they did a good job of sticking the landing on that. And I'm curious how you guys feel about our, like, you know, we've got our lady Batman and, and the two guys now all like from the lap of luxury to air temple Island. Hope you're vegetarian. <laughs> hey, vegetables are delicious. They are. They are. 
It, yeah. it did make me miss Sokka, though. Although, did we got a little glimpse of Sokka, didn't we, in that flashback? Yes, we did. We did. We did. Yes. Okay. That's a definitely adult Sokka. I saw the hair and thought, and he looks so distressed that I'm just going to compartmentalize that. We're not thinking about it. We're not dealing with it. I'm sure it's coming in an episode very soon. We're just going to zip, then push that away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will never speak of it until we are forced to. I am not equipped to deal with anything bad happening to Sokka. Um wonderful kid behavior kids who actually act and sound like kids i am extremely ashamed of myself that i didn't clock kieran and shipka until this episode mm-hmm. um and i'm and i didn't actually look that up so now i'm going to be really embarrassed if it's not kieran and shipka but it, it is, is right? oh it is yeah. okay yeah. good um this was this... like her first big post madman thing actually really oh cool yeah. um yeah when uh it it was when whichever daughter that is said Denora. Denora said, um, I will walk you to your room. I was like, oh, my God, that's definitely Sally Draper's asking for a cigarette right now. That's like exactly <laughs> like what this sounds like. Um, but the, all three of the kids are identifiably children, sound like children, which made me realize that the Avatar kids didn't always act like kids, which, of course, makes sense because they were forced to grow up very fast. And these kids are not have not been so far. And isn't that beautiful? Um, it seems like maybe that is coming to an end, <laughs> which is very sad. Um, so I don't really know how to deal with all of that. Um, I'm really impressed by how they're balancing all of these disparate elements, all of the lightness and the dark balancing. Ha <laughs> ha. The watchword. Um, but it, it's shocking to me how grim the end of this episode was without being in Appa's lost days kind of grim. It just as when you think about uh, all of the warning signs that we see when you're headed toward a total dictatorship, um, when people losing their autonomy and, um, the creating of an other and ostracization and they're floating in the air and all of a sudden I'm terrified of benders and it's crystal knocked and it's terrible. Um, so I don't know how much I'm enjoying watching it, but I thought that both of these slapped as they say. Yeah. <laughs> Asami, did you know that, that Cora likes Mako? God. <laughs> I have completely Less. forgotten about that reaction shot of the lightning and the volcano and just everything on Cora's face of that. So funny. It's so good. Like, I had completely forgotten about it. And I, then I remembered seeing it for the first time and just like, I think I fell off my couch. Yeah, it's because so it was just so good. Um, well, but- in the, that frenetic <laughs> energy, the sort of wild swings they're occasionally taking stylistically yeah. really dovetails with the... Um, the like sing 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 energy that the series has as a whole you know like it's all it just feels the whole series feels the way that car chase feels only slightly less scary for me because i'm on my couch right but it's that like you're careening around corners and there are horns and it's everybody old-timey bathing costumes and and there's pabu and now there's batman and now we're bloodbending and it's quite a ride Uh, and i love that the style the visual style reflects that yeah i mean like i i think that the original like avatar would have done something similar to how icky responds to not getting the hot goss that Mm -hmm. she so desperately wants with that (laughs) it's very good um thing but at the same time 
it would have felt really kind of slightly out of place within Last Airbender. But here, because they've kind of leaned in a little more on this kind of exaggerated comedic type stuff, particularly with, as you noted, Alice and the kids, like Milo's just so weird. Beautiful <laughs> <And> woman. <laughs> we will meet again soon, beautiful woman. You're pretty. Can I have some of your hair? <laughs> yeah, I was just waiting for one of like, for like Mako or somebody to be like, it's creepy, kid. It's creepy. <laughs> nope. Um, Marcus's Milo's head is a little too large. It's it is. larger than yeah. most of the adults. Yeah. But it but it feels right, you know? Yeah, like it feels very right that, yeah. of children, yeah. That he's just this big, weird Charlie Brown thing. Yep. Um, it's like when no. puppies have enormous paws. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they yeah. fall over a lot because their paws are too big for them. Oh, God, it's cute. Yeah, um, I think, like, the one other thing I do want to point out from um, um, the aftermath is that whole thing about the Mecca's being so refined um, and so pure that you can't metal bend them, mm-hmm. um, of feeding back into this larger discussion of the equalists using technology and how they're advancing technology to counter benders, really specifically. Um, even down to the, the armor not being bendable, but also like using the metal bender's own tactics of wires and bolos and those kind of things um, against them, basically, in really scary weird ways like this escalation um does a really good job of turning it into an arms race almost um without really saying that phrase mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. definitely the uh the the notion of it being super refined platinum yeah so and that's why it is you know i like that they specified it. it's not because it's a particular kind of metal it's because it's a particular kind of metal that does not have other part, you know, particles or particulates within it because, you know, it's like a reminder when Toph starts bending metal, she's bending the earth within the metal. She's not actually bending the, the metal itself. And it was good to have a little bit of a reminder in there. Marcus says we need some boomy there to bend with his face. <laughs> and Tenzin's air wheel, I've completely forgotten about his mm-hmm. air wheel thing, which I was just like, is so cool. It's so cool to see an adult airbending, because this is yes. the first adult we've been able to see airbend, and it just, it really hit me, just that little moment. Well, except for that little tiny bit of grown-up Aang that we get in the credits, which just, every time I see it, it just blows my mind a little. Um, I, I cannot... I'm both dreading and cannot wait to actually properly meet adult Aang, which I assume is coming kind of soon. Mm. Um, so do we want to talk about Tarlock a little bit? And yeah, just being an oppressive, horrible... This is obviously an equalist rally that has occurred after I turned off all their power. <laughs> yep. Definitely not doing any of this on purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like when, when he has the conversation with Korra, and, he, and he's like, I mean... Obviously, you're doing this too. You know that you're also like. That's this why I was like, I can bullshit. work yeah. with you. Uh, yes, but also he's not wrong. She's uh-huh. been throwing her weight around as a bender all season. She like she's like a guy's distributing pamphlets in the park, and she oh, upends his table, like roughs him up a bit. Like it's completely abusive behavior. But she's our hero, and we don't like the equalists, so we're not supposed to think about it and this episode and this little moment with our you know our villain here one of our villains uh challenges us to engage with that and i think it's good overdue 
I agree. And I also admire the the way that the show makes that clear while also saying like, yes, but also no. Like there are de- there are degrees of wrongness. It, they're both wrong and she shouldn't have done it. And her tendency to sort of fight first is obviously something she is going to have to work through because it's not always the best thing. Um, but the like, you're the same as I am. If I'm this, then so are you is a classic instant release from argument button. This person is not actually talking to you sincerely. They're just trying to manipulate you because everyone acknowledges, every right-thinking person acknowledges there are tons of shades of gray in basically everything. So Cora is in the wrong, but she's also not that guy. Um, and I I really like that we're allowed to sort of roll around in that in that final scene. Yeah, it's it's I mean, all of everything that Tarlock does in this episode, from manipulating it around into a curfew to this, the setting up of Lind as like a fall, um, fall person who she voluntarily sort of like does that out of her own pride, but he exploits it really very quietly and very subtly, um, uses her pride against her because he's very good at manipulating literally everyone around him. Um, he knows all the buttons to push, like all of them. Um, that you just watch him making mistakes, but also mistakes, but also they're all purposeful mistakes so that he can solidify things for himself or whatever his end game is. Um, and so just watching all of those dominoes kind of fall into place and then watching them specifically fall into place in this episode, I think is just really exciting and it's really well executed. And then you just get his office, which just that ridiculous wall. I love that ridiculous water wall so much. Um, but I also love the look on his face of, oh, right, it's made of stone. You gotta, you gotta use plastic. You gotta use plastic. <laughs> so you can't be bended with your own wall. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's really, really impressive how really delicately they've made it delicately but not subtly made it clear that he's awful um but also like major props to d bradley baker for finding all the different layers vocally for this guy in how he talks to the press how he talks to cora how he talks to tenzin how he talks when he's found out basically um all of it like it's a really nuanced performance um in a really different way from say um, Baker's work on the Clone Wars, where he's voicing all of the clones, mm-hmm. like all of them. And yet, if you watch it enough, you start to pick up on like really subtle differences in the clones' um, voice voice work. Um, and all, for a lot of them, anyway. For some of them, not so much. But they're there, basically. And it's really, really neat. Um, he's just really talented. And I was really glad when they were just like, you get a whole season of being able to speak English. <laughs> Have fun. And he's just like, I will. <laughs> uh, do we have any other thoughts about that fight? Besides, you know, it's real, it's real good. Oh, it's real good. It's so good. Um, it's shorter than I remember it being. I thought it was much longer um, than it actually ended up being. Um, but it felt so long in 2012. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
but it's it is really neat because one of the things I like you get to see him just like full on like sh- shooting those ice bullets ice daggers out of the water bubble is really cool um but then in my brain I'm just like Cora you can just water bend those down right you don't have to punch through them. <laughs> yeah but she always goes first to right. you know to punch it yeah. yeah no it's her default is I'm going to punch it I'm I'm a punch a bunch I'm the uh, avatar. Deal with it. Right. <laughs> One of the shot that I really loved in the in the early sequence of the fight was um, the water cutting off her hair, mm-hmm. like part of her hair, which is such a little detail, but it makes it allows everything to come after it to feel that much more frightening. Way before we get to the blood bending, because. You know, I we're used to feeling like our heroes have armor because they're the protagonist, right? Um, but in the, and in this case, obviously, like it's called the Legend of Korra. I really doubt that season three of the Legend of Korra is actually going to be about Bolin. Like it's just you <laughs> surprise. Know, like, like there's some the show po- takes a weird turn in season three, <laughs> <laughs> the Pabu season, um, if only. Uh, but it made me forget that. I think when we were heading into this fight in a way that I didn't with the car chase, which was another great action sequence. But this, this act, like all of the other acts, frankly, in both of these episodes, but especially in the latter, were so full that it just sort of felt like it was never going to end. And that was fine with me. There was, it just, every time that it cut to black, I was like, great credits. And then there was another set piece. Um, just really, really dazzling. And that little tiny, look at the little pieces of her hair floating on the breeze while we do our little matrix vision uh, made me fear for her in a way I wouldn't have otherwise. It was such a good little detail. Yeah. Uh, Marcus says, I, th- I have think that they had the tech jump just so they could have a car chase that included bending. Yeah. Cause they did the cart chases previous, but it's different when you, you know, have an engine. Yeah. I mean, watching Asami call for a ramp and then I need to make this corner and then just going, woof. It's just like, this is very cool, everyone. So um, cool. And it goes back to this idea of like Asami is um, Batman, but also Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Um, with like just knowing how each of her allies can do exactly what she needs them to do in that moment. Um, and then asking for it, basically. And then also just watching her casually shock people <laughs> was also very fun. Um, yeah. There's an important thing we haven't mentioned yet, and it's Null's name in in the, the, the Zoom. Oh, Cabbage uh, Corp. Cabbage Corp, the, the, the beautiful return of the Cabbage Vendor, you know, in Statuary. And when you think that's, you know, the, the pinnacle, then we get the descendant, I assume... I yeah. assume uh, a descendant saying, "Yeah, Not he looks my very cabbage much... core." <laughs> poor cabbage corp. Poor, yeah. poor cabbage corp. I somehow missed the earlier mention of cabbage corp when I, um, in a fever, texted both Kate and Noel yesterday and just said cabbage corp. I was informed that cabbage corp had already been mentioned and I just missed it. But I feel like yeah. this is actually the best way to find out. Yes. This um, is the best way to find out. I yeah. absolutely agree. So I, I'm fine with missing that other mention. The all like detail after detail. I just, what a delight. Do we have any final thoughts on these episodes? Um, I do want to mention real quickly that, it's a very silly detail, but it's also not silly because it really epitomizes just how far he's fallen. Um, but 
I love that when Amon took away Tano's bending, he also took away Tano's ability to hair bend or do mm-hmm. whatever he did to his hair um, to give it that perfect bounce. Um, because he also just, took the gel or the mousse yeah, or whatever. He, it's just so flat and limp um, in that brief scene in uh, the police station slash city hall um, that I just, I love it as like a detail, but also just you feel like it was a special power of his that also got taken away. Um, <laughs> I just really like that. Um, Airbending. <laughs> Airbending, yes. Which I now I'm trying to figure out if that would be more directly related to water bending or to air bending because if you want volume that's going to be air but if you want your hair to be moist and springy that's going to be water so so may i don't hmm. maybe this is why all the airbenders shave their heads so that vanity of that isn't an issue oh you know what good but it also explains why tenzin's beard is so fucking pointy you can (laughs) cut glass with that beard because he just Um, (laughs) yes just um, the only other thing I do want to note is that the scene in which Tenzin and Korra talk about tapping into the spiritual world is like our first mention of Korra being like, yeah, didn't you hear in addition to airbending? I can't do that either, um, which is a good setup for like next season, but also is another setup of why has she reached out to her past selves and why aren't they reaching out to her more directly as well, as opposed to whatever these visions that she's seeing are. But I also want to note because it's just so pretty, like that entire sequence of Republic City in the background with like the morning light um, and everything. The way that they shoot, the the way that they light Republic City is just really gorgeous, and I love it. I love all of it. Um, it looks so good in the morning. It looks amazing at night. So yeah, um, yeah. Marcus says uh, I mentioned it before, but the scene with Tano really reminded me of the Wheel of Time series and what happens when you lose your magical ability. I haven't read the Wheel of Time, but uh, so that's very interesting to me. Um, uh, I did not realize that was a thing that happens in that world. But yeah, you've mentioned that before, Marcus. Wheel of Time. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's, it's really, yeah, it's really effective. I like that because yeah, they bring it back for like two lines. I mean, yeah. they, they pay an actor for another episode and all the residuals on that episode throughout time for two lines. I appreciate that that's, you know, something that they wanted to do, was important to them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You have anything, Allison? Um, I just want to say how delighted I am that we have a new team avatar, um, team fire ferret, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but also how delighted I was by all of them climbing on Naga's back and then promptly falling off. Like what a lovely. Naga's like, no, we're not right. doing this. Well, it's a very, this is not your father's avatar, the last airbender kind of moment. Um, but in a really fun, joyful, celebratory kind of way that the delight of that section of of these episodes um was incredibly appealing especially considering all of the darkness because there was so much darkness it was really nice to watch these four incredibly skilled very passionate people get started on their journey together yeah well tomorrow we're going to be back to talk about the penultimate two episodes so uh that means episode nine and episode ten so you ready allison oh hit me episode nine out of the past episode 10 turning the tides okay out of the past i'm assuming is gonna be um 
in addition to being the title of one of my favorite noir films, is... Uh, yes, good, good call. It's a really good one. Um, I assume that's going to be Cora, since she's been kidnapped and locked in a van, is forced to deal with her weird dr- sepia-tone dream flashback hallucinations. Uh, that's my guess for that one. And then th- the turning of the tides? Mm-hmm. Um, the they they waterbend the ocean and find out that it that it affects the moon and then that's moon bending and ua comes back uh noel anything you want to say or are you good i'm good i actually don't remember either of these episodes particularly well so this will be a fun thing to revisit um and yeah I'm sure I'll remember them if, after I start them. But mm-hmm. as of right now, I'm just like, yeah, I don't remember what happens. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm very much looking forward to them. Yeah. And we will have more to say tomorrow. But for now, let's leave it there. Uh, thank you to Marcus for hanging out with us today in the Zoom. Thank everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.